Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining us, almost as always, is your co-host, Jim. Almost awake. <laughs> your co-host, Hunter. Hey, guys, I'm really glad to be here, but, you know, I, I wanted to bring in a special guest who's also really excited to have you guys here. Take it away, Steve. <laughs> what? Who? What? <laughs> I don't know. He took it away. I, is that what? What's happening? <laughs> Was that a thing? I can't hear. Like, I heard you were playing something. Oh. But I yeah, yeah, it was Steve Ballmer. It was Steve Ballmer yelling "developers, developers" over and over and over again. Oh, but I guess God, it didn't pick up because right. of my stupid noise suppression thing. Probably wasn't working properly. Uh, was Was that the Windows ninety five thing from back in the day? <laughs> it was or Windows something? XP, but yeah. Oh. And also joining us is your co-host, Spaz. Hello. Uh, friends, this is going to be a very different type of show because um, we're doing something a little different. Uh, when this global pandemic occurred uh, and we we're all told to shelter in place. What? What's going on? <laughs> you know, nothing. Uh, when, this, when, this glo- when, when this global <laughs> pandemic started... Uh, we're all told to shelter in place. Most people thought of their families or their loved ones or their pets or their friends. Me, I thought of the game developers, the the hardworking, wonderful developers, 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 the hardworking, wonderful, lovable people who make the games we talk about almost every week here. Uh, The games we play, you know, even when we're not talking here on the podcast. So I thought today we'd do something a little different and maybe a little weird. We are, we usually have, we have a channel for our podcast, but today we are in the developers only channel of our discord because we can invite the, we can invite the myriad of developers that hang out on our discord uh, to chat with us today. And we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We have about a dozen developers in here, so uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Gotta catch them all. <laughs> I got a train whiz. I wonder what it evolves into. Um, <laughs> Nothing. I'm the max evolution. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So we're going to go, as of right now, in alphabet, I'm going to go down the list in alphabetical order, and I'm going to ask people to introduce themselves and what they are, uh, what like maybe what space game they did work on and what they're currently working on if it's not the same game. So, uh, hello, hello, Janist. Oh hi. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my name's. Name is- <laughs> my name's George, and uh, I'm the guy who makes that game Wayward Terran Frontier that's uh, been in yes. early access for like ever. When's it coming out? Never mind. Don't ask. Don't answer that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oric. Everybody, I'm Dave. Uh, I'm that guy that makes Starship Horizons. That's also been an early development. Hi, Dave. Hi. These are the Daves I know. I know. These are the days. Anyway, um, Chathams. Oh no, we we don't hear you, Chathams. We don't hear you, Chathams. We'll come back to Chathams. Cheeseness. Hi, my name is Cheese. Uh, I worked on 
the Wii Team, which is a sort of uh, interactive yes. novel uh, adventure thing where you play as the AI on board the last starship to leave Earth uh, and you watch your crew eat themselves. It's great. Um, I also <laughs> have been prototyping a little uh, sort of turret-based uh, space game, but my primary project now is is a city builder where you build a beehive as anthropomorphic bees. Not very space-themed, but uh, yeah. Hive time. Go check it out. I love it. Really? <laughs> is that what it's called? Oh, it's, it's, gr- oh it's great. Thank oh, you. Really? Yes. I will have to check that out. Uh, Crazy L. Hi, everyone. I'm Crazy L. Um, I work with a small indie company in New York, Goodnight Games. And then we're working on a 2.5D horror action space game thingy. <laughs> Wait, what's it called? It's called Never Go Home. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it's right there in your thing. It's right there in your title. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Crazy Ivan. Ooh. Isn't that a maneuver? Hello. Consonar, Crazy Ivan. Hello. Yeah, it's kind of breaking in and out. But hi, I'm Crazy Ivan 97. I'm the sole developer of uh, Orbital Shipyards which is kind of a simple voxel game where you can build any form of ship with the main focus of combat as the forefront. It's uh, currently in early access and slowly chipping away at the development. Jeff McGraw. Thanks, Brian. I'm Jeff McGraw. I'm doing Dominus Galaxia, which is a 4X based strategy game. Uh, it's sort of in the vein of the first Master Orion or Sword of the Stars, uh, sort of minimal micromanagement. Uh, right now, we did a Kickstarter recently and planning to probably do early access around the middle of the year unless there's any sort of uh, publisher that steps in before then. Rock on. I called you McGraw. Or I should I'm say a- it's a closed beta and there's a free Kickstarter edition on Steam and Itch and everything. Yeah. I don't know why I said McGraw. I apologize. I, Everybody does that. <laughs> really? It's just, it, it's just a regular cry. Yeah. I don't know why I my know. brain put wish a my name was McGraw. Sometimes it sort of know. rolls off the tongue. I, I oh, think he's he's be. he's the one that he's the one we have to evolve. No, I think to, I think to. it's because of McGruff the crime dog. I think that's why my brain goes there. Oh, that's the first Isn't time. Isn't there I've a cartoon character called Quick Draw McGraw? There is yeah, a character. Quick Draw McGraw. Yes. Yes. That's right. Quick Draw McGraw. That's probably where my brain actually went, because I I know who that is. <laughs> uh, Jump Drive Studios, we know who you are, but please tell the audience. Hey, Brian, uh, this is also Brian at Jump Drive Studios. Yes. And, uh, two of them. I know. Now, the, now there are two of them. <laughs> there are two. Uh, and I'm uh, working on a game called Exo, which is kind of best described as... Uh, FTL and Star Control having a baby while watching Battlestar Galactica. The same episode of 33 over and over. <laughs> over and over and over. Which was, <laughs> let's, let's be honest, is the best episode of Battlestar Galactica. Pretty good. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Luca. Hello, everyone. Um, I used to work on uh, Starpoint Gemini, and now I'm working on a small little game that you might have heard of, Rainbow Six Siege. What? Yeah. Damn. Damn. Just that's a little. It's just a little. It's just a little indie game. You know. Yeah. yeah. 
Small <laughs> little feet. tiny, little tiny indie game that I see every other streamer playing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Space Jesus. <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Hey, uh, my name's Adam. I made a game called Space Viking Raiders. It's an action RPG where you play a space Viking raider traveling between galaxies, raiding alien homeworlds for their resources. And I'm based out of Vancouver, Canada. Do you ever uh. see Victor Lucas up there? Who? No. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, Victor Thank- Lucas. He's a well-known uh, person in the... Um, uh, God, I, words can't even talk. He does. What, he, what does he make? He he hasn't made anything. He's actually he did uh, like um he's part of the Electric Playground. He's the guy who did like Electric Playground throughout the nineties and through the two thousands. And he does um at the Vancouver University there. I think he does like a live show, or he he was before the uh, stay at home order came in. See, when I think cool. Vancouver, no, I actually what? haven't heard of him. Um, but there's a pretty big full indie scene here. So you get yeah, that's what like, I hear. Uh, that's also where they Fantastic record all the traption guys. That's also where they record all the TV shows. That's what I think of when I think of Vancouver. Is that just every show I watch, just about, is recorded in Vancouver? Yeah, we've got a huge film industry here. A lot of the the movies that I see have uh, shots from my university. Like uh, you guys have seen, um, Battlestar Galactica. It's like the Vancouver Library, right? Uh, well, most of that was at the. Uh, SFU library. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, Tealton. Hey, Brian, it's Chris. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. We got gotcha. you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my my Discord went crazy when I hit the space bar. <laughs> so, <laughs> Coming in five by five. All right, good. So, yeah, so I'm working on a 3D space racing game. Um, working title Ooh. is uh, Off-World Racing League. Uh, still pretty early days, but it's coming along really well. I've, I love space and racing games, so that sounds freaking great. Um, and finally, TrainWiz. Hi, I'm TrainWiz. I'm the lead developer for Underspace, which is a hybrid hardcore space train simulator and also a romantic anime visual novel. <laughs> With survival <laughs> elements, of course. Wow. <laughs> survival elements yes you have to have every game has to have survival elements these days doesn't it i think <laughs> uh, ten, i think start adding like survival elements where you not only have to like eat and drink but if like if you don't shower regularly npcs won't talk to you well they did just add prison gameplay where you get thrown into a prison and you can either work through your sentence or try to escape i'm not even making that up <laughs> i'm not uh, so, yeah, but I don't know about bathing. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, uh, I think Chadmus got his mic. Someone ship to use their shower. Chadmus, you got your mic working. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, yes. So, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, Chadmus, a.k.a. Chris Adams. Chadmus is like a combination of parts of my name. And uh, I'm the sole developer of Advanced Mechanized Spacecraft and Gravitura couple small indie games one of them uh advanced mechanized spacecraft i've been working on in some form or other for about like eight years something like that so 
Okay. Well, thank you everyone for the introduction. I'm kind of going to open it up now. Uh, you can just answer how you like. Let's just, you know, but let's just keep it simple. How are you all doing? <laughs> I, uh, I was already working from home before all this landed. So there haven't been a lot of real changes for me. Um, a couple of studios that I used to do a lot of contract work with are no longer accessible to me. Uh, and that's been a big change, but that was kind of before all this kicked off. Uh, I think I think the biggest thing is that um, I, just for me personally, I feel a little bit less comfortable asking people for money right now. You know, oh my God, I, yes. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in so many people's lives. Oh my god! Um, yes. And and I want to respect that. Um, and that you know, because I, I the the game I'm working on at the moment is pay what you want. So it's up to people to decide what's fair for them, uh, which is fine. Like I'm, I'm totally comfortable with people who can't afford it. And I want people who can't afford it to feel okay with that. Um, but uh, in, in the interests of, you know, not having to run off and, and find other forms of income, um, I need to, to sort of remind people that that's a thing that they can do. And um, yeah, I, I feel a lot less comfortable with that than I did, you know, three or four months ago. It's uh, for me. It's been a bit of a weird, like up and down type of deal. Um, full disclosure: I used to be a uh, financial administrator for a private healthcare company, and unfortunately, I was laid off. With that being said, I've had a lot more time to work on the projects for Good Night, Never Go Home, particularly. And so, like now that I have that that time and energy to put forth to it, I kind of feel a little bit, um, I'm going to say like, not, not really guilty, but just kind of thinking in the back of my head, dang, at some point I'm probably going to have to go back out and get another job so that I can keep doing this, which was the original kind of deal in the plan with being a financial administrator. Right. Worst apocalypse ever. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted zombies, but instead there's just slightly more people walking with their kids on the beat. Truth. Truth. And people can barely handle that. Uh, that's all I'll say about that, but people can barely handle... Just stay at home. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> who wants to dive in next? Tell us how they're doing. Uh, I mean, as an introvert, it's not much big of a change, granted... I get to work from home this time around, so I have to talk to less people. But in terms of development, times are about the same, to be honest. Granted, it's a lot more fun to communicate with people over text than having to constantly run between offices and having to talk to people face-to-face. So it's well, actually, actually kind of a welcoming change for me. That's for, actually a really good yeah. observation, and I, I kind of wanted to pivot Brian's question to a slightly altered version of that question. Have any of you during this time with this this transition have had to switch from working in an office to working from home? And how's that been affected like with your development? Oh, I'd like to go next. Sure. So, go for it. Yeah, like I'm I'm in a huge studio and we have to work from home now. But it, it feels great because Finally, I have all my good monitors, all my good setups, all the keywords <laughs> that I know, and like I have some peace and quiet, and I can I can do do things at my own pace. So it's kind of I I just became more productive. 
Yeah, the problem at my job we were talking about today is how whenever they start to reopen the office, how the hell are they going to convince people to actually come back? Because <laughs> now that they've proven, like, hey, everybody is actually more productive. Oh, no. Now. I think they're. I think I'm down with workplaces being more flexible like that in terms of, of not necessarily requiring everybody to sit in a box for eight hours a day. The flip side of that is that unpaid overtime and accidental overtime and all that sort of stuff becomes a lot easier to to have happen, but also to ignore. So there's there's like work encroaching upon people's lives in ways that aren't appropriate that uh, that I think we face a bit of a risk of. Yeah, my boss was talking about uh, like the the detriment of not being able to just walk up to a coworker's desk and ask him something, you know, where you you actually have to reach out to him and. But to me, having people not able to walk up to my desk means I'm like 10 times more productive because I don't have people like coming up <laughs> and like jacking up my phone. I will wholeheartedly agree with you on that. And one thing you will, re- I think people will find out and realize just how much of a lot of uh, stuff can be put in an email, a simple email, as opposed to a whole <laughs> meeting on top of a meeting on top of another meeting. To have a meeting about that meeting. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> hey, did you get that email I sent you? <laughs> per per my last email. Yeah, there is there right. is a funny uh, like a custom scented candle that said smells like this could have been an email. <laughs> it's a candle for me. Yes. I think I sent that. Are you sent did yeah. you send that to me? I don't know. We sent it around. I sent it around my office too. Yeah, smells like this could have been an email. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the other thing that managers are going to have to answer is, why are we paying for all of this real estate to give people cubicles when they can work just as well? Yeah, that's kind of what oh, I'm actually. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. Actually, ever since we started working from home, there is one small caveat of since everyone else is home, internet's usage has gone up and now you got a lot more buffering. VPN is now chugging along because there's so many people. So unless your hardware can support it, then there are some caveats from remote work that having, if, if you have a local server, then it's a lot faster to access it locally than having to do the whole VPN stuff. That That's true. I, I will say, and I don't mean to jump the, jump around or gun here whatever but i would say that this work from home business has definitely i believe put to light the idea of working from home more and how kind of uh messed up our infrastructure is in terms of allowing and supporting that Uh, because it just it just makes something some i think jobs you can do from home you don't have to necessarily be in the office but there's there seems to be like this idea that if you're not in the office, then you're not doing work. And if you're at home working, then you should be able to do more work because of the comfortability that you have. Yeah, yeah like I got. We can't see you working. You're not doing it. So yeah, I got to tell. Yeah, I got to tell y'all. I'm looking for freelance like remote work, and so when I find a job listing that doesn't say in, something specifically about being in house, I'll apply to it. And I've run to so many people that are like, so are you looking to move to Nashville? No. 
You just didn't say anything about it being in-house, so I thought you might be open to remote work. Oh, no. No, we want people in-house. Why? Yeah, it's definitely the default, right? You just tell them I am in-house. <laughs> as, a, as a former IT guy, um, I know for a fact that at some companies, especially depending on the types of contracts they have, uh, intellectual property, the lawyers and the internet and the IT security security people hate the idea of company work being done on computers they can't control. Well, okay. yeah. So, so that so there's there's an interesting caveat to that, and and I you know Jim and I are definitely have had these conversations because he's pretty he's pretty hot in the tech world, and I'm also pretty hot in the tech world. Um, <laughs> that we're smoking. Um, what are you doing later? But um, no, really. The, the 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 odd thing about that is, and I because I also have some people that I know who work um, and higher up tech and some of the banking here because in Charlotte where I where I live, the there's a lot of um, a lot of the financial industry is here, so a lot of the big banks like Bank of America and stuff are headquartered here, and so some of the people that serve on having you know uh, the board of the uh, company that I work for actually work for like bank of America on their, you know, technology teams and things are so ridiculously strict that they've got all of these crazy policies. And even Jim will tell you that working for the company he works for, he can't even use teams on his like personal computer. That's how it's so locked down. Like he has to, but the weird thing is though, is he can use it on his phone. So it's yeah. like, wait, well, what? Know, Cause they can encrypt I'm- your, you can you can encrypt an Android phone, right? But right. Um, so we use Office 365, but only for email. And then the only way that Office 365, like the rest of it, will work is if I'm actually coming from within the corporate network. So I yeah. dial into the VPN. Well, the VPNs got overloaded, so we have a virtual desktop infrastructure VDI. So you log in and it spins up a Windows 10 machine with your stuff on it, right? And then it hooks to the same uh, OneDrive profile. And then, uh, but we have these restrictions, like I have OneDrive, but I'm not allowed to use it because of the, the like nuclear regulatory commission stuff that we deal with. Um, I can't have any files that are out there, right? Because Putin might see it. So <laughs> it's all got to stay like in the company. So then I had to map a network drive over to an internal server. So it's like, I'm in the cloud. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> so it's, it's a, but the rest of the company, like the people that aren't in critical infrastructure can, can work as normal. Um, but I'm using the hell out of that VDI because I don't need the VPN for that. So the, the only thing that's kind of a bitch about it is like it disables my clipboard and like if I go to take a screenshot or whatever, it'll blank that window. So there, there is no way for me to get info out of that thing. It's well, I, I could probably like turn on OBS and record the screen or something, but, um, but it's like you know can't copy paste, can't like file transmit data, any of that stuff. So they, they've got it figured out how to like lock it down and make it. Uh, I understand why, but it's kind of inconvenient because if I have multiple windows open, I can't copy paste between them. So what I end up doing is I'll use one of the sessions to open a remote desktop and I'll just like log straight into the server, into my VDI with a remote desktop through us through a window that like loops back around into itself. And then I can open individual things on the desktop instead of having it like Citrix invoke floating windows on my machine. So, but the beauty of that is 
now I can work on my desktop machine and I got like a triple monitor set up and like my ergonomic desk and everything versus hunched over a little 14 inch laptop, which is how I suffered through the first month. And yeah, so I'm much happier. I can put up with a little bit of clipboard shenanigans for that, but it's uh, 80% of my job is, is trying to figure out how to work around our security to do the 20% of my job. So it hasn't really changed that much. It just added like another 2%. Yeah, it's definitely hard to go back to one monitor from two monitors or even three monitors. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny about that is I actually I actually had scaled back at home. Yeah, it's I know. I had actually scaled back at home from a six monitor setup just to a three monitor setup. And uh, I recently and I've been working off of three monitors probably for the last six to eight months. And with everything that's been going on, I'm just like, I don't have enough real estate to get my job done. And I re-added another, like a fourth monitor to my setup. It just, yeah. it just like, I feel like I can get so much more done because like I have enough things that I can like monitor and take care of without having to constantly like minimize and bring back up. And So people who've had to transition to work from home, have you been given computers by your workplace to do that work on or are you expected to do it on your personal hardware? So, uh, uh, like, uh, I've been working from home for about two years, like from my nine to five, like in web development, right? And, uh, and uh, like, uh, at first they gave me this really crappy laptop and we tried upgrading and it was horrible. So eventually I convinced them to let me use my main rig to do my work. But uh, the biggest thing I found was just being able to kind of comp, comp up, uh, how do you, I don't know how to pronounce it, but compartmentalize the, uh, the work time from the not work time. Right, so I found a good way to do that was to have some like, uh, like have have some kind of program like like maybe you have a web page with your time tracking up or something like that, and as soon as as soon as you press stop on that and shut down that program, then you're off work, right? So what I find is is is, is every day, um, when I finish work and when I stop that program and close the window and all that kind of stuff, right? I can feel my uh, blood pressure dropping and I start to calm down quite a bit. I, I actually will um, add to what you just said is that that's actually, I think, been I'm not one of you all developers, but this is something I've brought up on uh, the show, I think, either last week. Yeah, I think it was last week we were talking about it when we were coming is the the thing that's been the hardest for me switching to a work from home only environment is that compartment like compartmentalizing all of like mm. my tasks because. I'm so used to a very, very specific routine because like when I'm, when I'm at the office, like my brain is at the office, like I'm focused on everything that I'm doing there. All of my tools are there. The infrastructure core is there, like everything that I need to do or like that would ever have to touch, maintain or tweak or whatever is there. And working from home has then transitioned to not only am I having to do all of that same work remotely, but now that I'm also home, there's just like, well, there's that other thing that's been like itching me that I haven't been able to get done yet. That's here in the house too. Like I'm here and I can just walk over and do it, you know, but it's, 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 it's trying to figure out that time management because I often find myself doing less actual nine to five work during nine to five. And it's like spread throughout the day even longer. So my work days actually feel longer and I feel like I'm actually accomplishing less. It's strange. Yeah, I think I think that's like a normal uh, thing that you you kind of deal with. I've, I've been working from home for nearly a decade now, so it's it's all kind of natural to me. But I remember it was it was at least a couple of months before I really 
wrapped my head around consciously managing those context changes that you kind of get for free when you drive, you know, into a workplace and sit down at a desk. Um, and and yeah, I think I think even even if I go back to like the few few occasions that I've had to go back to working in an office, um, uh, either for for freelance work or or whatever else. Um, yeah. Having having the ability to to manage that context change mentally rather than just rely on on being in a different space, I think has empowered me to to be better at managing how I use my time and how I use my focus. I have a thing called an idea hike. If I can't solve a tough programming problem, I put on my shorts and my hat and I go up a hill. Usually, by the time I'm at the top of the hill, I've figured out how the how to at least approach the next step of the problem. Hell yeah! Uh, I love that's it. actually scientifically accurate. You increase the blood flow to your brain, and you increase your IQ by like four points. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know what I used to do? I used to smoke cigarettes. I'm glad I stopped. But yeah, <laughs> it's like the opposite of a idea hike. The sure. other way to solve programming <laughs> problems is just to uh, how to say you know, do something else and sit on it and eventually your brain sort of just mashes it all together and you're like, oh right, I could just do this. I always say I do my best walk either when I'm going for a walk or on the toilet. (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting take on searching the big room. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's the think box. See, I find that fascinating because for me, I, I go skateboarding, you know, I'll throw on a pair of sweats and just skate until I can't anymore. And by time I get back, there's this period of time where I'm like mentally exhausted. But then I get that big idea. And the next thing you know, I'm on my laptop running you know, through the program. And it's like, all right, I got this. You know, four or five o'clock in the morning. Bam, I figured it out. Well, I'm just talking to my rubber ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Some interesting sections. <laughs> that I found is it almost seems like the longer of a time period you stretch a programming task out of, um, or even a design task, the better the solution eventually is, even though you may not have used your time as efficiently. But like, uh, if I code something all in one day, versus coding it in over the course of a week, my architecture is going to be superior. If I do the week, even, even if I'm only putting in like one hour a day versus seven hours straight, yeah, I you always know, find that that the longer I leave an idea to percolate, the more solid it's going to be. And I I, t- I tend to avoid stuff like autocomplete and and other things that speed up the process because doing things more slowly gives me a chance to to think more about what it is that I'm doing. I always like to say that I never want to work faster than I can think. And now we're talking about why Wayward Terran Frontier is still in early access. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's probably applicable to a lot of us. <laughs> well, before I get the single player done, I should probably put multiplayer in it. Well, no. well, well that's a, that's another kettle fish altogether. I was gonna ask how no, multiplayer is not that hard. I was gonna ask has has this uh, change situation been a detriment to the development of your projects in any way? Uh. Mine? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. In fact, if, if anything, not not very much has changed for me during all of this. For my next project, I've, like, 
if I was in a different situation, you know, four, five, six months ago, um, I, I had plans to do a, um, a, a bridge building game where you build bridges for dinosaurs that travel through time. Um, and, uh, and I was like quite happy with, with proceeding with that. But now the, in the current situation and context that we're in, I think I'm shifting my plans to focus on things that are a little bit easier to pitch uh, and a little bit more marketable and possibly leaving the door open for grant funding um, because that's going to give me a bit of security and safety net that I, I don't have access to in, in the way that I would have had before. So what kind of drugs lead to a game about <laughs> no, nothing just just uh it's it's all that time on the toilet thinking of cool ideas <laughs> so do you mind if i ask a question because uh no, no, this, this, this is an open conversation please uh it yeah. does, the questions don't have to just come from me or us please feel free all, all of you just to ask a question go ahead, go ahead. so uh so with Goodnight, we had our our foray into the mobile market, which was like our idea of kind of appealing to the broader audience. Do any of you, any of the other de- developers here, have you had to have that struggle between making what you want and, say, making what the audience or what you think is more marketable? Oh, yeah. I mean... Wayward Terran Frontier is an extremely well. Actually, no, not even going to talk about that game. Oh, I think any a lot of space games are very niche, um, mm. or they can be. Like we we have the the fans for space games are so much more dedicated, but they are not in my, from my perspective they are not sort of the biggest gamer, but they are one of the most passionate. Probably the best bet's just get rid of the audience right away and then have them <laughs> dragging you down. Because, <laughs> like, like, for us, like, I remember we made, like, this, oh, God, it was, like, this adorable cutie tap press slide game. I mean, it eventually turned out to be actually really creepy, you know, once you press the uh, the buttons and all that stuff, the, the animals will explode. And we tried to appeal to the larger audience and we realized it just was not working for us. And what we figured though, is that it's the struggle and the, the climb up the mountain was going to be harder because we were doing what we wanted to do instead of, I guess, going for the bottom dollar, you know? The same can be said, like, like we said that the space game audiences are, are typically niche, but we, I mean, I imagine that all of us here are also uh, players and fans of, of space games. Um, you know, we're, we're passionate yeah. about these things and we're willing to um, potentially, <laughs> you know, we're, we're probably less likely to pick things up on a sale and a little bit more likely to pay full price for things. And, and that's got to balance out in some way, right? Yeah. Oh, it absolutely does. And I, if anything, I think it what it does is it empowers space game developers to take the risk of making that crazy awesome thing that they want to make instead of trying to appeal to the mass market. Because to a certain degree, just by making a space game, you've already kind of um, alienate, alienated a certain percentage of the mass market. So might as well try something really cool. Yeah. And, and these passionate people are more geared towards... Uh, 
you know word of mouth promoting a promotion of your your games like uh it's it's easier to reach them because they're a focused audience fair enough, fair enough. And, and you sort of have an idea what what the, the the niche audience wants because there is so little people in it Hmm. I'm not sure if space itself is niche or it's just the people that want to make space games tend to, um, I mean, space is a genre. Well, tend to want to do very unique and particular things and make sort of their sorts of games and not make something mass market. Um, But uh, I don't know if you just, uh, you know, StarCraft isn't niche, FTL could have been niche, wasn't niche. I don't I think it's more of a uh, correlation than causation. Wait, I don't think space games are particularly niche. It's, I think someone else just said it was the it's the developers try more weird things because if you look at uh, on a macro scale, you've got Star Citizen and Elite Dangerous, and of course No Man's Sky, and those are quite big properties in terms of both audience and just how much money they've made. And then even on you know more mid range stuff, Pulsar, Lost Colony, Avorion. Uh, those have all done really well, even by uh, by indie standards. See, well, well, I def- well, I definitely agree with those examples. There are other examples like uh, Eve Online compared to something like like okay, World of Warcraft. I've never met anyone who I introduced to World of Warcraft who didn't at least sort of see the appeal. But Eve Online was a game that I enjoyed, and. Some people just get, they just go so deep into that game and they can't put it down and it's the greatest thing they've ever found. And then a, a lot of other people are like, oh, why would you even play that? So but speaking of EVE Online. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Well, you had to tickle that bear, didn't you? <laughs> See, it's well, polarizing. I'm just thinking EVE Online is a space game, but it's like half spreadsheet simulator, and that probably has more to do with it being niche than being in space. Yeah, well, I, I, think, think, I think the uh, turnoff for EVE Online for some people. Well, I think I think you guys are all hitting on something that's very interesting, is that it's not that space games are necessarily very niche, but the genres of which some of these space games occupy are. Exactly. So, so right, like you right. look at... That's kind of what I was getting at. So like you look... Like, how about complexity in general? Sure, it's but like, like Call of Duty you know, and Eve Online are different universes. Well, but, but I mean, even even if you look at you know MMO as a genre itself, Eve Online and both World of Warcraft are completely different MMO styles altogether. You know, one is you know one is based on you know a leveling system, the other one is based on a skill point training system, which you know I don't think there's very many other games out there that do it the way Eve does it, which is very strange. But having said that, though, you know, it, I would definitely say that Eve in and of itself as its own game is very niche because of the style of not not because it's an MMO, but because of the style of gameplay that it offers is it drastically different than a lot of the other MMOs that are out there. Same thing can be said about like, you know, whether or not you like playing uh, Starcraft over Warcraft 3 or Starcraft versus, say, Command, uh, Command Conquer or something, you know, so it's like. You know, they're they're all they're all very similar on on their themeage, but they're also they also can be very different. And I think the sci-fi theme in general um, has a has a very strong appeal to why some of these some of these nicher games in this in the subgenres are so good. 
Uh, yeah, I would agree. And I think that's, uh, like I said, that's the biggest point here is like there's, you know, subgenres of subgenres. Like, for example, you know, you have Homeworld, which a lot of people, you know, are strategy game, real time strategy game. A lot of people know more as opposed to Nexus the Jupiter Incident, which is classified as like a real time tactics game, you know? And then there's a subgenre of that, and it just keeps going further and further down. So I think space as a whole has an appeal. It's just the further classifications that we give to it that starts to break down the, the right. audience. One, one of the big things that I've been seeing lately as a genre that's been coming out is the tactics style of gameplay, where we've been seeing a lot more. Like they, They're coming out with the Gears tactics game that, that either just came out or is about to come out. And then, but you look at something like Battlestar Galactica Deadlock. I mean, that's that that in and of itself is a tactics game, you know, where it's, you know, you you've, you can take time to plan out your strategy. You can think about your next steps. And um, I don't think I've ever seen, you know, any, I guess the, the developers who made the Deadlock also made the um, uh, the other game just before it. That was Vanguard? Starhammer. 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 Very, yeah. They they were both. I mean, they're both pretty much the same game, but different uh, IPs, so to speak. So um, the style of play is the same. It's 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 um it's just the different uh, approach to it. Um, but like even even then, you know, I don't think I would ever. I I don't really enjoy the the turn based tactic games too much like that. I mean, they're not really my thing. But when I play Deadlock, I there's something about Deadlock that's just fascinating to me. Well, it's a combination of the Wego system in it, as well as the positioning, the the foresight you sort of need to to anticipate what the opponent is going to do, and then try to counter maneuver it. Which is good. I was just going to say, and the IP is really cool. Well, <laughs> there is that. <laughs> yeah, because I would say, because wouldn't uh, Flotilla kind of fall in that same range? Of game. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I love Flatilla. Great game. Has anyone played the second one? It's VR only. Has anyone played that one? I haven't. Okay. <laughs> and I think and see, and I think that's another thing that comes into play with all of this. When you when you think about I guess space games, not only does the, the subgenre count, but also the brand, the IP. You know, lends its weight to if it's going to be a success and okay, or like no one's going to remember it in a couple of years. Flotilla 2 strips out all of the cool flavor stuff that I really love from Flotilla 1. Oh. And that's why I'm kind of not super motivated to um <laughs> to pick it up. Ooh. Not fun. So, like, the first game has, like, um, the core of the game is these, these sort of turn-based space battles where you're, you're, you're making tactical decisions based on your expectations of where all the ships are going to move in 3D space, and that's kind of fun and self-contained. But outside of that is this weird, zany universe populated by flamingo merchants and space pirate pigs and, and just all crazy weird shit. Um, that builds together this story of, of what you're doing with the last six months of your life. Um, but uh, but Flotilla 2 is just the battles and none of that none of that other cool stuff. Oh. That's, that's kind of sad. <laughs> I mean, I guess it makes sense because the... 
the uh, the 3D medium, like the the way that the way that these story elements were presented, um, you, you can think of think of Flotilla as being like a short story generator, um, but the way that those story chunks are generated uh, is just you're shown a single static picture and a few lines of text, and it's up to you to infer the rest. And I don't think that that that's necessarily going to translate so well to VR. Uh, reading's not super great, especially on the hardware that was available at the time that that shipped. And, um, you know, upping the production uh, requirements for, for making that voiced and getting the, like, little pic- thumbnail pictures animated or whatever, or making those in 3D, like, the, the extra overhead's probably difficult to justify for a, a small project that's, that's uh, you know, meant to be uh, a sort of proof of concept on a fledgling platform. Hmm. That's a shame. That's fair. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. I actually am now curious. During this during this time, um, I know that a lot of you guys have really said that nothing really has changed for you all that much. But have have has this uh during this time have you guys had any opportunities to try and play any new games or any backlog games you've been wanting to get your hands on? Well, uh, normally during this time, it's like. Uh, Late April, I'd be uh, I'd be out in the woods fishing for striped bass, and I can't really do that now because they uh, they closed all the uh, all the parks and fishing and everything for uh, until the crisis is over. So I've, I've been playing. Uh, I beat the 2016 Doom. I've been playing Doom Eternal. So so that's like that, that, that's like how I've like uh, like uh, used part of the time I've got back from uh, not being able to go fishing, and the other half probably like. Uh, like doing development work that I probably wouldn't have got to do otherwise and like uh, watching more Netflix, right? So, <laughs> well, well, when they reopen those parks, I hope you get to go out there and catch the big one. Oh, yeah, man. I, I caught a 20 pounder a couple of years ago. It was great. Nice. Uh, I've been working through the Metroid Prime series and Deep Rock Galactic, which I've heard mm. I don't really like those kind of those instant action games where you just jump in and play a game I like something with more like progression and story and stuff. But this one, it's a little bit different for me. I actually, I actually do like just jumping into random games and drilling my way through bugs and stuff. It's a lot of fun. We love it here. Yeah, we're huge fans <laughs> of Deep Rock Galactic. <laughs> so, so, so the Metroid Prime series, is this your first time going through it or? I went through it on an emulator with a keyboard <laughs> quite a few years ago, but I never did two and I never did three. So I'm working through through those properly now with like, you know, an actual controller. And like I said, I've been enjoying that quite a lot. Two two is meh, three is great. And yeah, like Jim just said, if you have a VR headset, you can actually make three work in VR. I've been liking two so far. I think I'd enjoy more if there wasn't the stupid ammo system. Like That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. It, it takes away too much from the game, especially because it doesn't really slow it down that much. Like in a normal fight, you won't waste that much ammo, but just going from place to place, you have to slow down and stop to like recharge the light and dark ammo. And that, that kills the flow of the game for me. It is the chainsaw from Doom Eternal. <laughs> yes, where you make all of the uh, the demons into just giant pinatas. This um, you know, this this change in situation hasn't really uh, given me more time to play games, and and 
focusing on trying to get a, a post-release update for Hive Timeout has kind of kept me away from playing a lot of the stuff that I would normally play. But the Linux port of Into the Breach was released a week ago, and I've somehow sunk 20 hours into that in the meantime. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> That's a fun Which game. I, I dig it. It's a cool game. It's, uh, it's nice. I, I, I just kind of wish that... Um, I, w- I kind of wish that that it was like three islands rather than four, and that you weren't necessarily going to get the same three islands in every reality, uh, just so you had a little bit more variation between runs and that runs were shorter. But that's more down to to my personal tastes and how much time I want to spend on a sin- in a single sitting. I've almost played through all of Black Mesa. I was I was really impressed with how they did Black Mesa. Those I I really need to read up on the story behind how Valve like gave them free reign to do. That. I, I mean they did get free reign to hunt down the Freeman. Let's 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 uh, be a little bit fair to Valve's level of quality control when it comes to fan games. <laughs> no, let's not talk about that. Shh. <laughs> There is no hunt down Freeman. It never happened. <laughs> it never happened. It never happened. I've been uh, playing Pathfinder, Kingmaker, but also I've been trying to get my money's worth out of, um, was it Ceres, The Longest Journey Home, and Children of the Now, The Long Journey Home is a weird one for me yeah. because I love most of the gameplay, most of it. And the soundtrack is amazing. Oh, it's, it's an excellent soundtrack. It's the landing part that kills it for me. When you try to land on a planet and you screw it up, it can ruin your entire run. Right. It's weird because it's like it kind of feels like Starflight. But then it's just like, no... No. No. It's yeah, it's unfortunate tried. that the lander system is like that because it it completely ruins the experience. I I tell people and have told people multiple times on this podcast, get the game for its soundtrack, not for the game, because the soundtrack is the best part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I also did some beta testing on it, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think most of the gameplay I've been doing lately is uh, the Bloody Rally game show. (laughs) Yes! It is addicting, you are correct. That makes me so happy. Oh my god. Also, someone has remade all of Diablo 2 inside of the Grim Dawn and Wait, what? Oh. Someone has remade all of Diablo 2 inside the Grim Dawn engine. So is it like a is it like a like a like a, a total conversion? It it is a mod for Grim Dawn which adds it just turns it into Diablo They've they've made they've they've remade all the monsters. They've manually remapped all of the zones. They have all of the quests and all of the audio was lifted 
from the original game. So that all the music is there. All the voice acting is there. They even have all the items and all the crafting and all the classes with all the spells. All you had to do is say yes. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> sorry, short, but I got to go. Where do you get that mod from? Hey, what's that mod I'm impressed. Uh... I'll get I'll get back to you. I didn't have it all on tap. Does it work in multiplayer? Apparently, yes. Although I haven't tried it, and they say that there can it's unstable. But yes, working. Is it called Reign of Terror? That sounds right, ish. That's that's pretty amazing because Grim Dawn is pretty damn great. <laughs> Holy crap! Look at this. Co-op works. Downloads, installs, videos, discords. Ah, oh, geez. Now look what you did. I, you know, with all... You cut it in your EVE Online time. Oh, shush. <laughs> you know, seriously, with all, the, with all the other work that I've been trying to do, so so as an aside to all you listeners out there, uh, one of the things I've been working on is some uh, different projects for the Space Game Junkie community. Um, I've been working with a few of our um, patrons here. Well, not actual Patreon patrons, but like... People who visit and uh, participate in the community were working on a couple of dedicated game servers, and so I've been doing a lot of work in that and been playing a lot of uh, these other games that I haven't put a lot of time into, like Void Expanse, and uh, we actually are working on doing a Discovery Freelancer server, but now... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> train whiz. We need to talk. Um, I would like Discovery Train, uh, yeah, Discovery, Discovery Train, <laughs> Discovery, <laughs> Discovery Train Lancer. Yes, I would. I would like that to have all the Star Wars ships in it from that Star Wars mod instead. Instead of, uh, I don't think that can be. Done. I don't think that. Can nope, be done. it can. We're it gonna. Can we're gonna. We're gonna have a. We're gonna have a conversation about this later, Brian. You don't know about this. It can, it can easily be done. I, I modded freelancer for years. It'd be easy enough to take those ships. Just uh, don't tell the freelancer community about it. They're not particularly sane. No, <laughs> that's it. Okay, okay. Sorry, I have to get on my soapbox. Here we go. Oh no. Here we go. Here I spent. I spent hours upon hours upon hours on Sunday trying to decipher through all of the different config files and understanding all of the different stuff that those guys have done to make like discovery freelancer or freelancer servers work impossible and you can connect to them and all this other stuff. I mean, I, I was pouring through forum after forum after forum. And finally I hit up their discord and I found a guy in there who was willing to talk to me, who wasn't even an admin. He was just a generic user on the site who like, clued me in on everything that he had to figure out personally like so he spent hours and hours and hours and hours and divulged all the information to me that way i could figure out how to set up my own server and make it run properly and connect to the internet and all this other jazz but my god it was just like trying to find information on like how to work on this stuff was like pulling teeth it was ridiculous anyway i'm stepping off my soapbox so but yeah Say again? Yeah, yeah, I can. I can definitely help you with any sort of uh, modding stuff you want. If you want to fly Star Wars ships, there's enough. There's enough crappy redundant ships in Discovery. I don't know if they've changed that recently, but there's a lot of crappy redundant ships that replace. Just even replacing those with uh, 
like uh, Star Wars models would be simple enough. And then you actually have a reason to fly half those ships. Well, 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 train. You just got you just got promoted to our community project channel, so now you've got a role for that. Yeah, folks, we are really hoping to get it. As long as you don't expect me to take time away from underspace. No, 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 no. no. Enough time in freelancers' I and I files, crying this for is, hours on this end is, to make them work. To all, I want to go back to that heavily. All of our community stuff is all volunteer and whatever people are willing to do. I'm not. If 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 people are willing to help and pitch in and participate and give advice and whatnot, great. If not, I understand your time is your time. Uh, that not just for train, but that goes for anybody listening who's interested in pitching in and helping out. So anyway, could we have the capital ships replaced with Thomas the tank engine? Yes, please do it. <laughs> yes, exporting models. There's I. I used to work in like Milkshake 3D, which is like a, a 30 year old modeling thing that only had the only freelancer like model exporter. But I think it's got, they've got like a blender version now. So if they have a blender version that exports to freelancers model uh, type, we could easily replace things with Thomas the Tank Engine. Yes. Can, can we replace the sound when he goes to hyperspace with uh, Shining Time Station theme song? Easily. <laughs> doot, doot. When I first started making games, I was doing my sprites in uh, a quick basic data command. Nice. Yeah, map, same thing. I, uh, when I first started making games that were intended to be played by other people, as opposed to like my friends or my family or whatever, um, I was working on Half-Life mods and um, a lot of fond memories of Milkshape. I remember spending three hours downloading it because my internet was just that bad, and then it didn't work. <laughs> oh, no. So, so what were you guys, like, first, uh, I guess, method or program or software for making? Train Simulator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's amazing. I, uh... I learned a program by uh, with with my dad. We we got our first computer in in 1987, and uh, we we learned a program by copying code out of the back of computer magazines and tweaking it, and modifying it, and and working out what worked and what didn't. Believe it or not, for me it was uh, messing with Freelancer, um, just reading through the file directory and learning how the ini files worked to change okay. stuff. Okay, you are getting a roll. <laughs> oh, that that was that was a few too many whiskeys ago. I don't think I could remember how any of it. Welcome aboard. Yep, you're hired. <laughs> you remember? You have been volunteered. <laughs> you get a roll, and you get a roll, and you get a roll. I tell you, Everybody it does make me. It does make me feel warm inside to know that there's still a community behind that game. Awesome. A lot of the servers are pretty active. I'd, I'd be interested to... Uh, I've seen some of the stuff they've been doing for Discovery. I'd like to actually dive into those files and see how they're doing some of their stuff. Like, they actually got, like, a whole Dyson sphere to work, not just be on the space floor and Freelancer, but, like, a lot more advanced. And I was like, how do they even figure that out? Especially with Freelancer's well, limited tools. 
So here's so here's the thing about the Discovery Group. I, I think that the the development team behind it is doing a really uh, bang up job. They're great. They're awesome. but the the community itself, I have a slight issue with, and and I I'm not a role player. I'm not interested in role playing. And so the the interactions that I've had with other players while being on their server have always been not fun for me because it's like you better RP, bro, or else we're gonna like shut you down. <laughs> yeah, the RP police got him. Oh, jeez. Oh yeah. So when we when I first actually got into modding freelancer, we were running on a uh, just a non RP server, but using that mod, and since everything was based around RP, a lot of it kind of brought the mod down, in my opinion. Especially, like, they make you, like, grind ridiculously for credits and stuff because they kind of assume it's a faction, a role-play, player-run faction that's actually providing you with funds to, like, buy a battleship or something. I think it's tough because, you know, when you're into it, role-playing can be a lot of fun. But if you're not yet into it, it just makes everything so inaccessible. You don't really know where the boundaries are or what the rules are. And and while you're still finding your footing, it's nice to be free to just explore and experiment and do whatever the hell you want. So, so there's a difference between role playing and then forced role playing. So, I feel like the discovery community feels like it's forced role playing, in my opinion. Especially when you come in contact with somebody else who's like super into it, and that's all they do. But like, you know, to, to bring up Eve Online for a bit, there are times where you're role playing yourself in a, in a weird way because you know you as a team or you as an individual feel connected to that world in a very unique way that's different for everybody. So as you play, like whatever your play style is, is almost like you're role playing in that universe because that's the way the universe was designed to be is, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but like you're almost inadvertently role playing just by barrier of playing the game. I mean, I guess there's two types of, like, facilitations for roleplay. There's, like, the stuff you do through chat, like, uh, slash Emmy, 10-foot-tall cat boy comes up to you and nuzzles you inappropriately versus roleplay, like, you have all these things to, uh, EVE Online's complexity allows for a lot of different actual interactions, which basically lend themselves to creating their own stories. Sure. So it's like it's like in the sim community, you know, when when I play like Armo with Jim and his crew and stuff like that, you know, you got different people who are, you know, they're playing different ranks and they they do pool rank and people. And so, I mean, you're 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 you know what you're kind of getting into because it's there's there's an element of the sim that is going on. Right. Um as where if I'm just trying to go out and go mining, I don't need some faction police uh, like player coming out and being like, "Hey man, you're not allowed to mine here. You know, get off my lawn, kid." It's just like well, file form 357B that grants you permits to mine scrap fields in Pittsburgh. No kidding. It's, it's no <laughs> kidding. Like, welcome to New New York. I'm a meat Jesus. popsicle. Anyway. Yes, that's, I love that. That's my favorite line. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, are you classified as human? Uh, no, I am a meat popsicle. I gotta watch Such a after, great film. After playing Cloudpunk a bunch, I need to watch that again real soon. <laughs> real, <laughs> real. Real soon. That's the fifth element for anyone who doesn't yeah, recognize I, I the mean, quote. I would think everyone would that listens to this I show. Mean, hope. I hope. You would think. One would definitely hope if they're listening to this right now. 
So we're hitting an hour. We should probably wrap up soon. But I wanted to hit you all with one question because we're all finding our own ways of coping through this new reality we're living in. What are you all doing to um, to cope with the the stress and the strain that this new reality is putting upon you? I moved all of my furniture. Wait, what? I moved all of my furniture. Ah, okay. You know, you know what? Why not? Uh, we'll we'll yeah. go down the list. We'll go down the list. So, yeah, Alagenist, why don't we start with you? I moved all my furniture. I cleaned the place up. Uh, I built a VR room for a VR headset that'll never be delivered because they're all made in China. Uh, I don't know. I'm Get feeling better paper. about things. What was that? Toilet paper. Oh yeah, I got a whole room dedicated to toilet paper. Piles of. I'm joking, but. You son of a no. Um, <laughs> Chad, no, the crazy you? thing. The crazy sorry, sorry ahead, ahead, about ahead, toilet paper. About toilet paper. The crazy thing is though is um, what what I've been seeing with that is is a lot of the stores are making that an in only like an in store only purchase because like you know. My wife and I, not that we've run out, like we're we're still good, but like for the last couple of weeks we've been trying to order like our groceries online and add toilet paper to the list and they're like, no, we're out. And so I was just like, Well, let's like look online and just like all toilet paper is now in store purchase only. I was like, Well, I guess that's fair. It limits, I think it a limits lot of, all those all the people trying to like hoard it up, you know. I think it's a lot of dynamics of, of the toilet paper situation in specific that that go unnoticed like there's the inherent fragility of of just in time supply chains um that that goes unnoticed in a lot of people's eyes there's like a big difference between running out of stock and having an empty shelf until someone goes and fills it right um or, or having an empty store until the truck arrives but the truck you know arrives several times a week and is always bringing new stock and but the the big thing that i think a lot of people aren't noticing is that if everybody is staying home then all of the bulk industrial and commercial purpose uh, purchases of of like massive toilet rolls for for supermarkets and workplaces and and factories and whatever all of that's being pushed into the uh, domestic home purchase uh, space and so everybody has to buy a little bit extra because they're not shitting at work you know yeah, yeah, it's true. Good point. Boss makes a dollar, I make a dime. That's why I poop on company time. <laughs> right, right. You, you, you That's eat out. Uh, you, you eat in and you shit out. Uh, but if if we can't do that anymore, then there's extra load being put on supermarket uh, uh, toilet paper. Um, stock levels that that just wasn't there before and that I don't think the that anybody has been prepared for like the the supply chains are not geared towards that kind of purchasing um even if you if you kind of take into account that people are reasonably going to purchase you know 5% more stuff um in general just because we're in we're in uncertain times and it it makes sense to not be living to not replace your toilet rolls when you only have one left as everybody was doing six months ago um but but also the fact that all of this other stuff is it's commercial and industrial stuff was purchased at bulk um this is like people are paying way more for toilet paper now across across all spectrums than than were previously happening before at the uh 
at the risk of uh, dragging out the toilet paper discussion too long and going down that rabbit hole, maybe we sh- uh, maybe I'll also say that uh, uh, back to the original question of coping with COVID-19, uh, I've noticed a lot of my friends having a harder time with it, and I've been trying to uh, 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 bully them into dropping the Netflix and trying Dungeons & Dragons for the first time, because it's uh, very that's, that's actually not bad. That's actually not, not a bad, bad idea. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. And you can play that stuff online and everything. Um, yep, you get them talking to other humans. You, you know, for those who like to party, there's also, you can play Cards Against Humanity online together. Jackbox we did that a couple, is great. Jackbox yeah, we did that a couple of weeks ago. Like people, people were making their own mixed drinks and stuff like that. We were all like on a Zoom chat laughing and having a good time. Nice. Uh, Chathams, did we get to your answer of how uh, you're coping? Uh, not quite yet, but, um, I'll, uh, so, uh, like besides like, uh, playing doom and doom eternal and, uh, like extra video games and that kind of stuff, I've been doing some like uh, drywall repairs and trying not to cause more issues in that department. And, uh, and I've been, uh, like, I try to, I try to spend about 30 minutes, like twice a day, like just like ripping on my electric guitar, right. I find, uh, if I play, if I play past the point where I start sweating, it's it's a good workout and it makes me feel more relaxed afterwards. So, hmm. okay, Cheesness, uh, what about you? How are you coping? What are you doing to cope with this new reality? Well, I kind of kind of nothing really. <laughs> I, I, like I said, <laughs> I was already working from home. I don't really get out much, so so not much has changed. But again, kind of being conscious of of other people. Um, I have been putting specific effort into regularly reaching out to and, and trying to catch up with, with people that I normally might go six months without talking to. Um, and and I'm also kind of reassuring people that um, although everything is uncertain and kind of scary, like it's it's sort of okay for everything to slow down a bit. You know, if if your kid ends up repeating a year at school, like it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. So if all the schools closed and your kids are home, don't don't stress too much. You know, like do do your homeschool stuff. Like explore things and 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 try and foster a love of learning totally. But like don't don't treat it like the end of the world. Um, it's a it it might be the end of certain aspects of of contemporary society. Um, but um, quieter, slightly slower lives feels like a very nice thing to have moving forward. I think. Grazio, what about you? How are you um, coping with all this? Yeah, I think, like, for the first time in a long time, besides, you know, finally doing what I want, which is working on Never Go Home, it's a lot more personal development and personal growth. So, like, working out more, cleaning, you know, cleaning around the house more, um, skateboarding more, just all those things that I've been kind of putting off due to the day job. Um and just focusing on self development and personal growth. You have you have recognized the iron. What? Uh oh. Did we lose you? Did did I get cut out? You yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, sorry. I was saying you do realize the irony of the name of your game in the current situation we're in, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. See, when you have a well, game, now, now it's like a fantasy empowerment thing, right? 
you have a game you have a game called Hive Time. I just think of the old Animaniac sketch. It's mime time. And and uh I just that's all I think of now. It's Hive Time with Tombo Dead. The last trailer I did ends with Would you look at the time? It's Hive Time. <laughs> I'll have to check this game out. Uh Jeff Quickgraw McGraw. How are you holding up? Uh, <laughs> how are you how are you coping? <laughs> that's just what I'm uh, calling. This now. is probably yeah. That's probably going to be pretty boring, but I was already working from home, so not too much has changed. And I already do a lot of like calisthenics and stuff, just at home, push-ups, sit-ups, running on stairs, stuff like that. So that stayed the same. Um, the one thing that's probably changed the most is just visiting family, obviously. Uh, and to make matters worse, uh, my sister my and my parents are all essential. So a lot of um, a lot of video conferences there. Uh, besides that, just uh, yeah, I mean the usual stuff, uh, but uh, going out a bit less, but not that much of a adjustment for me. That's that's good though. That's uh, then that, that probably helps cope with it. Make that probably helps a lot with uh, coping with this jump drive. What about you, man? How are you coping? Uh, well, uh, once I got over my, uh, my withdrawals from, uh, not having sushi or poke or anything like that. Oh man, I miss uh, sushi so much. I know. I miss it so much. Yeah. I live in a non-coastal city. It sucks. And you know, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And it's not like I can go to like, um, it's not like I can go to, I mean, Ralph Smith, like our supermarket, they might have a little bit of sushi, but that supermarket, that's not, the, no, that's not the same thing as going to a place. And no, oh, I miss sushi so much. And you guys are going to hate me, but a new pizza place just opened in my building. They're amazing. They're selling large oh. pizzas for $10. As a oh, promotion. I do hate you. <laughs> oh, I do God. hate you. <laughs> I hate you so much. (laughs) Oh my god! Because our favorite pizza place is like twenty minutes away, and they're do—they're still doing curbside pickup. Thank God, but we still have to drive like ten minutes to get to it. You know, Brian. Brian, now's the time to try and work on that pizza subscription, right? Oh yes, yes. (laughs) If you haven't played Cloud Punk, uh, one of the things you can get for your apartment is a monthly pizza subscription. Um. Which sounds like a terrific idea. That is a terrific idea. <laughs> Coming soon to Metropolis near you. I've always I've always had that idea actually. Like you know those fast food places like KFC, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, or whatever. They're already pretty cheap. But what if you could like eat there every single day, but then you get your food for like a quarter of the regular price, oh, or a, or a third. Oh. Or a third, or something like that. Uh, not that I would do that, but oh, just sounds, as a business idea, I've wondered. Sounds terrible. Oh, it's not a good. Oh. <laughs> Let's just say you don't pay with money. <laughs> you pay with time <laughs> in the toilet. You pay with time in the toilet. Basically, you lose the time you lost sitting on the toilet. Um, Tealton, I mean, you have you, good ideas. Yeah, Tealton, what are you doing to uh, cope with this new reality we're living in? Well, mostly I've been uh, doing more yoga and getting out on the uh, the mountain bike and doing a whole lot of cooking. Uh, mm. Just you know, 
getting in using the, uh, the knives and, you know, cutting up vegetables and making soup and making bread and all kinds of other crazy. Everybody's making oh, yeah. bread. All across my Facebook, everybody is making bread. It's easy I to think, make. If you have I a, think a yeah. lot, sorry, I think a lot of people are gaining weight, and a lot of people are becoming night owl day uh, day sleepers. Oh, yep. Oh, <laughs> I tell you, if I didn't have a streaming schedule, I wouldn't know what day it was. I, I that happens to me all the time. Like, what day that was this morning, Brian. I know. I, was I had to. I had to yell at my. I had to yell at my wife. Hey, honey, is it Tuesday? I had to because I. I couldn't. Couldn't. Remember. Well, you know, my my week starts on Tuesdays because that's what I know the podcast is. Is it, is it Tuesday? Uh, pod- nice. But for me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> that that is the thing that I found over the past ten years of working from home is that I never know what day it is. Always surprised by public holidays. Always surprised by anything that that reflects. The oh, it's my time. birthday. Yeah, no, yeah I mean, exactly. And then people get offended when you're forgetting about what's important, right? You, you like it's, <laughs> it's our anniversary. Made, made me reevaluate like what's important, right? I found that spending time with my cats is more important than other things, right? But yeah, it's interesting. I find myself checking my phone to figure out what day. It's probably a good idea. Probably a really good idea. Uh, it's Tuesday all day. It, it is I Tuesday. I also find that time tends to go by a little bit faster when you don't have that distinct memory of what days are. Like it seems like it just sort of tends to get compressed and compartmentalized in your brain. I think the only way I, I saw really someone say that. Um, God. I was just gonna say I saw someone the other day say that um, uh, that 2020 is is unique in that you know February has 29 days, um, uh, March has 75 days, and April lasts for 3,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> nice, That's great. which is weird because it feels like April went by really really fast. It did. It, I can't it did it's actually. Yeah. Over. Uh, the way the, yeah, the best I'm, I'm way asking I've you no- to put on the brakes. The best way I've noticed <laughs> to pass the time is is my hair. It's it's getting bad, folks. It's getting real, no. real bad. <laughs> it's getting, it's getting amazing, Brian. It's getting amazing. <laughs> no, it's not. It's getting big. It's getting gravity is not hold took taking hold yet. It's bad. It's it's tall, y'all. It is, ladies and gentlemen, seventies, <laughs> Brian. Oh God, yeah, right. <laughs> Disco stew, <laughs> Disco Brian. <laughs> uh, finally, yeah, I, Train Whiz, how are you? What are you doing to help cope with this new reality? Massive, massive amounts of denial. I, I was in a similar position as some of you. I do contract work and I work from home to begin with. So not too much has really changed there. Uh, just plugging away on the game, which has gotten a little harder because even though I work from home, uh, my contractors and my artists don't necessarily do that. So they've been, they've been hurting a little bit. Mm. Yeah. It's, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's about time to wrap up. Uh, all you guys, I want to thank you all for jumping in here and taking up or allowing us to take up your time. 
uh, with just thanks for having us. Oh yeah, we're gonna do this again. We are definitely gonna do this again because this was a lot of fun. Uh, there are a couple developers who tales came, like, from the game developers. Yeah, there are a couple de- devs that like <laughs> jumped in, um, jumped in uh, a little late so they couldn't make it. But we're gonna definitely do this again because this was fun. We should probably do this like in another month or so. Maybe we'll just regroup and see how we're all doing. So, uh, and folks, thank you out there for listening, especially and watching. And a special thank you, of course, to those who support us on Patreon and Twitch. You you are the loves of my life, the apples of my eye. And um, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Oh, what are we playing tomorrow? I don't even remember. We're playing something tomorrow. What are we playing? Um, Games. Just remember, developers, mm. developers, developers, developers are the best, you guys. We love you. We thank you for all your hard work and making the games we play. Uh, not just the ones here in the chat, but all you out there who are listening, you're our favorite people because without you, there wouldn't be games for us to play. So, um, so we really appreciate you continuing your hard work. And tomorrow I'm playing Horizons Gate at 9 a.m. Pacific, which is a naval RPG thing. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but it looks good. So, yeah, hopefully it will be good. Uh, thanks for watching and hang out with us, everyone. And we'll see you tomorrow and next week on the podcast. Don't know what we're doing yet. Uh, don't even have a topic in mind. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye, everyone.